Hello and welcome to another installment of The Scrum, the politics podcast that we do here at WGBH News. I'm Adam Riley, and today we're focusing on what's already one of the biggest political stories of 2016 here in Massachusetts. I'm talking about the battle over a ballot question, which would basically legalize the recreational use of marijuana in the state. Our guests today are on opposite sides of this issue. Jim Borgasani is the spokesman for the Campaign to Regulate Marijuana Like Alcohol, which filed that ballot question. Jim, thanks for coming in. Thank you. And we are also joined by State Senator Jason Lewis. He's appearing, I think I can say, on behalf of the Campaign for a Safe and Healthy Massachusetts, a new group formed to oppose the ballot question. Is that right? You're appearing on their behalf? I, th- that's correct, yes. All right, but you are also, uh, as a state senator, um, a lawmaker and the chairman of the Senate's Special Committee on Marijuana, which we should note. Um, thank you for coming in as thank well. Thank you, Adams. Good to be with you. And Jason, you mentioned to me on the way into the studio that you two have actually not appeared before to do a back and forth on this. this is the first time? Uh, it's the first time that anybody from one campaign or the other has gone head-to-head on this. Yes. Oh, interesting. That, that actually really surprised me. I would have thought this has been around for a little while. I know it's intensifying, but I would have thought that there would have been multiple such engagements. Right. Well, we're still six months out from November, and so I think uh, there's still time for people to start paying attention to this important issue. Um, but I think it'll be it'll be good to have these conversations and help educate the public. I agree. All right. So let's get started in that case. I'd like each of you to state in as convincing and efficient and punchy a way as you can the case for your point of view. Give me like maybe a minute, minute and a half. Uh, feel free, whichever one of you would like to go first, to hop on in. Well, since we're introducing this, I'll take the lead on this. Uh, first, uh, there are four reasons why we're doing this. First, prohibition has failed across the board. It's been a vast failure, an expensive failure, and a tragic failure for society. Uh, second, we think it's time that Massachusetts laws reflect the fact that marijuana is less dangerous than alcohol, it's less toxic than alcohol, it's less addictive than alcohol, and it's less likely to contribute to reckless and violent behavior than alcohol. Third, and this is important to me because I'm a father of two girls, right now we have an ungoverned, unregulated, thriving marijuana market in Massachusetts, completely controlled by criminals who don't check IDs, who will sell to anybody of any age, I want to make this market uh, inhabited by businesses that do check IDs, that will make sure that the people they sell to are of the correct age. And fourth, we want to make sure that law enforcement uh, has resources they can expend in, in, in against crimes that actually pose a threat to society. Our opponents say that there is no longer arrests of simple possession. They're right. There's not. There are thousands of, of arrests for people who possess great quantities of marijuana because they are the people that control the marijuana market. We want to drive those people out of business, and we want to put those resources toward better uses. Okay, Jim Borgasani, that's the four-point case for legalization. Jason Lewis, what is the case against? Well, um, many people probably think, what's the big deal if an adult wants to smoke a joint? Um, the, but, the, but what we're talking about here with the proposed ballot question is far, far different than just allowing consenting adults to smoke a joint. Um, First of all, marijuana is vastly different today from what most people think about 20 or 30 years ago. It's it's hardly ever smoked. It's vaped. It's dabbed. It's consumed in food and beverages. It's highly potent, uh, 10 times more potent often than it was in in the past. So we're talking about a very different substance than we were in the past. What this ballot question is really about is introducing or opening the door to a billion-dollar commercial 
profit-driven marijuana industry in Massachusetts. And we've seen this story before. We've seen it with the tobacco industry. Once this industry, which is chomping at the bit to get into Massachusetts, they see it as being the potential marijuana capital of the East Coast. Um, They will introduce enticing new products, just like the tobacco industry has. They will pursue marijuana marketing, advertising, celebrity sponsorships. Um, There will be uh, intense price competition, which will drive the price down, uh, which is very good in most industries, but not good in the case of a substance like marijuana, which is uh, proven to be harmful to young people. When your brain is developing, marijuana has seriously harmful long-term health impacts, and that's not something that we want to uh, bring to Massachusetts and cause more young people to start using the substance and to suffer harmful health consequences as a result. I have a hunch that Jim might want to go back at some of your comments. You may also want to go back at some of the things that he said in his opening. So keep those uh, points of contention in mind for the end. I want to throw a couple questions at each of you now before we go any further. First off, uh, Senator Lewis, I'll go with Jason here to keep things equal. Um, One of the points made by Governor Charlie Baker when the campaign for a safe and healthy Massachusetts launched was that, as he put it, if the ballot question passes, it could, quote, reverse our progress combating the growing opioid epidemic, which is obviously something that we've heard a lot about in recent years. I have been trying, and I'm still trying to figure out if that link between marijuana use and opioid use is something that has been documented or not. And I'm still, as I say, working on that. But as I've been researching that, one of the things that I came across was a a study that was published in the Journal of the American Medical Association's Internal Medicine Journal in October 14, which said that from 1999 to 2010, medical cannabis laws, and I'm quoting here, medical cannabis laws are associated with significantly lower state-level opioid overdose mortality rates. So I'm wondering if, from your vantage point, this is something, this correlation between marijuana use and opioid use is something that you see as problematic or worrisome? And if so, whether it has been conclusively established? It has not been conclusively established. I think there's an active debate. But the important thing to remember here is we're not talking about marijuana use for medical purposes. In Massachusetts, we have already at the ballot, the voters already approved a medical marijuana program. That was back in 2012. So we are rolling out marijuana dispensaries across the state. There are six, uh, six of them now. And those people who have a medical condition like epilepsy or uh, seizures, uh, pain, can get a card and increasingly get access to medical marijuana. So that is an alternative to pain management. We also, back in 2008, decriminalized marijuana. So up to a possession of up to an ounce is not a criminal uh, conviction. So uh, it is not the case that people today in, Ma- in Massachusetts are being arrested or convicted for possessing or using marijuana. That is just not uh, a problem we have in the state. I today. actually want to ask Jim about that de facto legalization issue. But just so I'm totally clear on this, do you agree with the governor that that uh, legalizing marijuana for recreational purposes would risk rolling back progress that's been made combating the opioid epidemic, or do you not agree? Well, I think what the governor is trying to say is we have a crisis on our hands already, and that is taxing our health resources. It's taxing our first responder resources, public safety, our government resources at the state and local level. And we need to stay focused on dealing with this opioid epidemic. That's really where we should stay focused, not introducing a whole new industry and all of the attendant problems and challenges that will come with that in in terms of recreational marijuana. So... and, and then I'll move on 
to uh, to a uh, question for Jim, but just so I'm absolutely clear on this, so you are not saying that you believe that uh, marijuana is a gateway drug when it comes to opioid use, but you're so, concerned that resources that are currently correct. being dedicated to fighting uh, opioid abuse L- might be diverted in a damaging way. It, both. That's my main point. Okay. Um, but I did. I'm not sure if you said this in, in the introduction, but I did. Uh, chair, or I do chair, the Senate Special Committee on Marijuana. I managed to sneak and, it in at the and, end, uh, So it's I the most a, important thing. That's right. I spent a year um, leading a committee um, looking at marijuana policy, looking at other states like Colorado and Washington, talked with over 75 experts. And what we say in the Senate Special Committee remor- report, which is available online for those who are interested. What's the URL, say, by the way? Or we can get that uh, to people later. It's we'll... the masslegislature.gov website, okay. and then it's right there. We'll put reports. a link with the podcast. Right. But what we say in the report, and we look at all the studies out there on health impacts and public safety impacts, what we say is there's a correlation that you can see between marijuana use in in kids, teenagers, and other harmful substances. But you cannot say definitively there's a causation. Okay. So we see a correlation, but we don't say that there is a causation necessarily or or that we've proven a causation. Jim Borgasani, one question that I have about this ballot question or have had is, you know, every day I, I uh, live on the North Shore and I tend to run and walk a lot along Linshore Drive. And every day when I'm out running or walking on Linshore Drive, I smell a tremendous amount of marijuana being consumed. It seems to me that it is de facto legal, even if it's not formally legal. Given that that's the case, why is this ballot question even necessary? Um, to say that it's de facto legal is just, well, you know that it's it's not de facto legal. It's It's decriminalized. Medical marijuana is permitted. However, we have... And you can smoke with impunity in in public spaces to a large extent. Well, you'll be fined civilly, if you will. Um, Yes. I mean, we don't allow public consumption, by the way, in our initiative. Uh, But to prolong or to propagate an utterly failed uh, public policy just because we think that, well, it's not really illegal anymore. It's just ridiculous, you know. Um, the policy has to change. It has to change. We have a policy that has failed, again, across the board. Um, and to propagate it because we think that it's somewhat legal, it just doesn't make sense. But but hold on. Why doesn't it make sense? From a, And I am not one, but if you are a marijuana user, if you know that you can, without real fear, I think, of being cracked down on by uh, by the, say, Lim Police Department, which might not want to take the time to write a, a civil uh, right out. What would it, what would be what would it be a civil ticket, a civil right. infraction notice? It's a civil infraction, and it's a fine. So if you can sit on a bench overlooking the Atlantic and taking a beautiful day like today, as you smoke a joint, that strikes me as not irrelevant to the question of whether outright legalization should be voted on. But you're fall. looking at the finishing point okay. of marijuana. Let's look at what comes before the person who is smoking a joint while you're running on the North Shore. We're talking transportation. We're talking people who have made huge profits dealing in illegal substance. We're talking criminals and gangs that distribute, that sell, that use violence to control territories. We're looking at an entire billion-dollar industry that exists in Massachusetts now, unregulated, ungoverned, where huge profits are being made. You can't just look at that end person who's sitting and smoking a joint and saying, well, I'm not bothered by this. There's just too much behind that that we have to look at and say, this system cannot go on any longer. Public policy has to change. I see Jason wanting to hop in, which means you get to hop in the next time you want with one of his comments. Jason, have at it. Jim is absolutely right. We do have a black market in Massachusetts today, and uh, and we do estimate it as a multi-hundred million dollar uh, market. Um, 
There is no perfect solution here, uh, whether it's prohibition, decriminalization, commercialization. There are going to be pros and cons. The fact is, however, if we go down the proposed uh, path of the ballot question and we commercialize marijuana in Massachusetts, introduce a marijuana industry, we will not eliminate the black market because uh, the ballot question allows home growing. So we will have people growing up to 12 plants in their homes. By the way, each plant can net you about $5,000 on the market. So there's a big incentive to grow, have that flow into the black market. And we will have huge problems with smuggling marijuana across state lines. This is a problem in Colorado. Obviously, New England is even more geographically compact, so we're going to see even more problems with smuggling across uh, state lines. So in Colorado, since legalization, the black market has not gone away. And in fact, law enforcement has uh, told us when we were out there and spent a week there that it's still a huge problem. And we would expect it to be as big, if not even bigger problem in Massachusetts. So legalization and commercialization does not mean the black market we have today goes away. It still will be there. Plus, now we will have an industry that is marketing to kids and uh, promoting greater consumption of marijuana than we even have today. Well, the black market in Colorado has been decimated by this. It simply has. In fact, uh, there was a large, there was a story um, in the Denver Post uh, this week about uh, some arrests being made for home grow in Colorado, which has always been illegal. We support those arrests. It made clear, and these are the same law enforcement uh, enforcement officials that uh, Senator Lewis spoke with, they made clear that the intent of that marijuana was not to be sold in Colorado. You know, if they knew they could make money in Colorado, they would sell it in Colorado. That is, when you look at that, that is an argument for the more states that legalize, the more you're going to decimate the market for people that are home growing. You're and saying there's you're... a and a, my, I may point out there the the grow market is going to be a micro market, just like the home brew market is a micro market. It takes a lot, and it takes great energy and lighting to grow marijuana. Um, our opponents are looking at this and saying this is going to be a whole industry. It's not. Our tax levels are correct in order to push and to suppress the illicit market. We don't think that that is going to We think it's, frankly, a red herring. Jason, you wanted to hop in uh, Yes, a number of points there. First of all, um, it is uh, Jim is wrong. The black market in Colorado is thriving, and I've heard that from state officials, Denver city officials, and law enforcement. I can't compare it exactly how big it was before. All I'm saying is that we're very confident it is thriving if there I heard just because jump... of sales in the state as well as smuggling across and state And it sounded lines. to me like what, so. what Jim was saying was that there was a, a disincentive for people who grow in Colorado to sell in Colorado that they were looking elsewhere. Uh, they're, they're both, okay. because because they're, they're, in some cases, people are using the cover of a legal market to actually be able to go ahead and grow it and get around the legal system because marijuana sells for about $300 an ounce, and one plant can produce about a pound. So it's a, it's a weed. It's, it's easy to grow, and you can make a lot of money from it. And that's why the analogy to home brewing doesn't hold up here because if you brew at home, you're not really going to sell your beer or your wine and make any money on it. But if you grow marijuana plants, you can make a lot of money but doing now, that. The stereotype that I have of people who grow marijuana uh, to to provide to others. I was at the the Brockton Medical Dispensary a while back, and it was this incredibly high tech. And you know, I'm biased because I'm someone who struggles to grow tomatoes every summer. But it was this lavishly constructed uh, marvel of engineering in which all these plants were being. You know, they, there were ultraviolet lights that were overhead that were flipped at the same time every day, and there were complex irrigation systems. Can you really, and we're getting a little far afield here, but don't you need to do that kind of thing to grow it at home and have it be appealing to people who might buy it? You have both. 
because, and both are problematic, actually, because it's very easy to grow it. It is a weed. Um, yeah, you need some bright lights, and you do use a lot of electricity and water, but you can easily grow it in your own uh, basement, and people do that today, and, and, and many more will do it when it is uh, legal under the, if it were legal under the ballot question. Then there are also businesses, high-tech businesses that are entering the marijuana market that are introducing, you know, all kinds of new technology and innovations to allow these large-scale grows. Now, in most other industries, that would be a great thing because it would drive down costs. It would make it more efficient. But that's a bad thing in this industry because we're going to drive down the costs. We're going to make it cheaper to sell marijuana. We're going to make it easier to produce it. And the industry will come out, as tobacco has, with lots of enticing products, Colorful packaging, colorful marketing, and that's what will increase consumption among young people. They are very sensitive to that kind of uh, marketing and those kinds of well, products. Well, in fact, efficiency, market forces are going to help, not hurt, this effort because it is going to drive down prices, which are going to drive down the illicit market. It doesn't make sense that a home grow would be even viable in a market where you can buy marijuana legally. It, just, it simply doesn't make sense. Market forces are going to drive out Anybody who wants to home grow spend all that money on electricity and lighting and say, now we have a product. When people can buy that product legally, it's been tested, it's legal. Why would anybody choose to buy a product illegally if it's as expensive or even more expensive? Right now, the market forces, in fact, it'll be, we have a billion-dollar industry in Massachusetts right now, a marijuana industry, with more than 800,000 uh, admitted users. This isn't something we're introducing to the market. We are converting a criminal market into a market that will benefit taxpaying businesses. I have to, let's, let's leave this one behind for a little bit. I want to give each of you a chance to question the other before we wrap up. So hold your thought, uh, Jason, and hold your thought. Jim, if you have one. Um, question for you, Jim. You guys unveiled this graphic last week um, accusing uh, the people who Jason is working with, including Governor Baker and, and uh, Mayor Marty Walsh of Boston, of hypocrisy when it comes to their opposition to what you guys are trying to do. And the graphic, as you know, showed cutout heads of Charlie Baker and Marty Walsh saying, our health policy, drink more alcohol. A lot of people, including myself, when I saw that, thought it was a little odd at best and maybe self-destructive at worst to put those words in the mouth of uh, Mayor Marty Walsh, who is a, a recovering alcoholic and has been very public about that. Do you regret that move? Uh, we do regret that move. We will not use a sign, that sign again. We will not use language like that again. However, we don't regret the underlying point, which was that Governor Baker and, uh, and Mayor Walsh have backed legislation and uh, policies that will increase the use of alcohol, the expansion, the, the availability of alcohol, Which both in extended hours. The Mayor Walsh asked for an expanded, expanded operating hours for liquor-serving facilities in Boston uh, and more liquor licenses. Governor Baker has done the same thing under an economic plan. We don't disagree with that. What we do disagree with is them, them uh, those two, uh, public officials are then coming out and saying that, you know, marijuana is dangerous. It's terrible. Nobody should access it. Meanwhile, they're increasing access to a, to a substance that is far more dangerous. So we will not use that sign again. We will not use those words again. But we will not stop from criticizing public policy that we think is contradictory. So I got to ask you, given your answer, I need to flip the question on its head. If you believe that that sign and the words that it featured adequately conveys 
what Governor Baker and Mayor Walsh are doing, why not use it again? If it's right, why not run with it? Uh, because we think that the, the, the message on the sign, the graphic, uh, sort of became the story rather than the hypocrisy that we were pointing out. So we don't think, we think that our messaging is so strong and that our data is so convincing that we don't think that we're going to have to use uh, signs like that again, and we will not use a sign like that again. Did you or anyone else connected to the campaign to regulate marijuana like alcohol apologize to the governor and or the mayor for that? Uh, neither one of them asked for an apology. And you didn't offer one? We did not. Okay. Jason, you wanted to hop in? Well, I, it sounds like Jim is apologizing on behalf of the ballot campaign, so that's uh, better late than never. I thought. Wait a minute. Was... Is he right? I regret. We regret using that sign. Because you think it was wrong or because you think it distracted from the message you want to get out? The sign was uh, putting those words in a recovering alcoholic's mouth was wrong. We shouldn't have done it. We regret it. The underlying message is uh, something that is valid, and we will continue to point out public policies um, that contradict um, uh, other public Got policies. Okay. Jason. Well, I want to under, uh, address the underlying issue. Let's get to that because that's what's important for public policy here. Um, the fact is uh, uh, that alcohol takes a terrible toll uh, on our society. Um, drunk driving, uh, alcoholics, domestic violence, health care costs, crime. It's estimated that the total taxes we collect, um, alcohol taxes, federal, state, and local, are less than a tenth of the true cost that alcohol uh, impacts uh, our society with. So I would flip this question on its head. Rather than why should we regulate marijuana like alcohol, why would we want to go down this path? Why would we want to take another substance that is also addictive, that young people should not be consuming, that can also take a, a significant toll on our public health and public safety? Why would we want to regulate it like alcohol with a commercial market and, and cause some of those same problems when we, we've already seen what alcohol does to our society what tobacco does. I'm not saying we should try to reverse that and, and go back to prohibition. Obviously, that's not realistic. But we should learn the lessons from what we've seen with the alcohol industry and the tobacco industry and approach marijuana differently. Well, Jason raises a good point, and he agrees that alcohol is the much more destructive substance. Am I, am I, I, am I wrong about that? I'm not getting into whether one is worse than the other. Well, both can you... are substances that are, can be addictive for some people and that will take a significant toll on public health and public Public safety and will cost us far more than what we are ever going to bring in in tax revenues, which is another one of the arguments that right. the campaign So about 120 re Massachusetts residents die each year from drunk driving crashes. About 60 Wait, die from many? What's the count? I'm sorry. 120. About 120 per year. That surprised me. I would have thought it was higher, actually. Uh, about 120 per year. About 60 die of alcohol poisoning, pure alcohol poisoning. Um, and we're not trying to say, let's bring back prohibition of alcohol. We're saying, why don't state laws reflect the relative dangers of these substances? Just uh, one question that occurred to me, Jason, as you were speaking. It, it sounds to me like this might be a rare point of agreement between you and Jim. He was saying that he thinks that the expansion of hours in which alcohol can be served is worrisome and problematic because this is a substance that can cause harm. Do you, is this actually an area where you might agree with him, that we shouldn't be ex extending uh, those hours? Well, I think we should, we should consider, if we're looking at those kinds of policies, um, we should be considering what the impact on public health and public safety is. Absolutely, as we should with our tobacco industry. In fact, right now we're working in the state Senate to raise the tobacco age from 18 to 21 because, we, again, we want to protect public health. But we have to be realistic as well. Tobacco is legal and it's not, that won't change 
to, uh, alcohol is legal, and that won't change. Marijuana is already uh, decriminalized and available, and the question before us now is not about alcohol, tobacco. It's whether we want to essentially expand the availability and the likely consumption of marijuana. Uh, Jason, is there any push underway in the Senate right now to come up with a legislative proposal that would offer some sort of liberalization of marijuana law in the state of Massachusetts that would be an alternative to the ballot question? Uh, and if so, what might that look like? Uh, and you know, will it be put forth in time to have an impact on the ballot question fight? And if not, why not? Well, I think that that is a, a great question, and it's a conversation that we that we should be should be having. And uh, and I wish that the advocates who have put forward a com- uh, legalization with commercialization were trying to push this kind of a conversation, which would basically acknowledge that we've already decriminalized marijuana and that people don't get arrested for just possessing or using it. And we already have a medical marijuana program. And there are other alternatives. You know, you look around um, uh, other places in the world, for example. They are uh, in Spain. They have something called cannabis collectives or clubs where uh, marijuana is uh, safely grown and available to consenting adults, but without marijuana commercialization or advertising and so forth. You could also look at some examples uh, we've seen in the alcohol industry for state-run supply chains where you have the state actually supply the, the uh, substance and run the retail stores. It's not perfect. None of, the, none of these approaches is perfect, but it does reduce commercialization. That's the conversation, I think, more of what we should be having as opposed to the ballot question as has uh, been put forward. I got to ask you, since you're intrigued by those possibilities, have you or any of your colleagues in the Senate filed legislation to make any of those possible scenarios a reality? We, there's no, I'm not aware of legislation to do that, but that's the kind of conversation that I would welcome and that I think we should be having and that I think advocates and, and others should be you know, coming forward to have that conversation. Um, I think that would be one that uh, would rightly balance um, you know, the, the, that a consenting, there are consenting adults who want to uh, use marijuana, but we also have to take into consideration the impact on young people and very significant public health and safety impacts. But you guys, I, I mean, you could start that conversation. I know that this isn't exactly the way the Senate works, but you or Stan Rosenberg or any of your colleagues, you could start that conversation or shift that conversation next week by putting out a bill that suggested some of these measures, right? Uh, the, the legislature can, could choose to take something up. Um, I think right now, the un, unfortunately, the really the, the the debate that's before us, which um, you know the proponents of the ballot question have have brought forward, um, without much discussion, uh, I think, with uh, you know with the legislature, um, that you know is 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 a proposal to legalize and commercialize and and open the door to a you know, billion-dollar marijuana industry in the state. Jim Borgasani, what would you think of uh, state-controlled supply points for marijuana, before a la get, New Hampshire liquor stores, Before for I get to that, uh, there was a bill filed, House 1561, uh, by David Rogers, uh, Pat Jalen, several other people, I think 18 months ago. That is very similar to our bill. It would set up a system that regulates uh, marijuana like alcohol. That conversation could have began with the filing of that bill. The legislature ignored it. This conversation should have been going on. It should have started in 2008 when the legislature saw what was happening in marijuana. And then it, it happened again in 2012. Many things the legislature could have done, including the things that Jason are in Jason's report, um, establish, establishing an impairment metric. We're all for that. The legislature has done nothing. This is so that. that someone who uh, had been using marijuana can and be the, assessed for whether they were intoxicated, right? Uh, the, the, baseline, are, the problem is right now, law enforcement really can't uh, identify drivers who are uh, driving high. And even if they do pull someone over, there's not clear pr- procedures or protocols for actually uh, 
uh, taking them to court. So that's a, that's another problem we have today that but, really needs to be Jason, addressed. But Jason, my point is, you guys could have addressed this. You're waiting now and saying you're waiting yeah, now, it, and you're saying, Jason, you're saying now, let's wait. We have to wait on this, essentially because we haven't done our jobs. You have not filed, or to my knowledge, no senator or state rep has filed uh, a bill that would set a metric for impairment, nor have you filed a bill that would start a baseline study. What, you know, maybe you can tell the listeners, we, what have you guys been waiting for? You know where this has been going since 2008. The re, well, to your point, the reason that we create, that the Senate president created a special Senate committee on marijuana more than a year ago was exactly that, to look at all, to do a deep dive, look at all of the policy issues when it comes to driving under the influence, when it comes to public health impacts, when it comes to public safety, uh, all of the industry issues around this, and that's exactly what we what, what we did. We have identified a whole se- a series of issues and a, and a range of options, and that is now p- uh, part part of part of the conversation. But the you know the the legislature isn't just spending its time on this issue. We've got oh, a lot I of other that. serious issues that we're dealing with. We're dealing with education policy. We're dealing with transportation. We're dealing with energy policy. You know, we're dealing with health care. Uh, we're dealing with an opioid epidemic. You know, there's a lot of very complicated and challenging issues facing our commonwealth that we are dealing with, you know, we have to also prioritize those. But the fact is, Senator Rosenberg didn't uh, commence this committee, didn't form this committee until he knew that this probably was going to be on the ballot in November. So this was sort of like a pressurized, pressurized move by him. And I might point out also, um, and I respect the work your committee did. We agree with a lot of uh, the things that the committee pointed out. And in our initiative, we give the Cannabis Control Commission the authority to address almost all the issues that you raised. Now, the committee was a one-person committee until late December. Senator Rosenberg added more people to the committee, more senators. Within a few weeks, they were in Colorado. Within a few weeks after that, you came out with your report. Now, your, your staff may have done a deep dive on this. We agree with some of the conclusions. The other senators, I don't think, did a very deep dive. That's just my observation. I've seen a lot of legislative reports. This, to me, was a legislative report for a legislature that has no intention of legislating. I'm sorry. I want to give each of you a chance to run one more question by the other, if you'd like to, before we go. So, uh, Jason, I think Jim got to jump in first when we started out. Do you want to run a parting question by him? Um, I would, but just can I quickly respond? Sure. Because I, I think— um, I think that was disrespectful of what Jim just said, of the process we went through. Um, You know, we did spend a year. We spoke to more than 75 different experts, including people on all sides of this issue. The committee membership was expanded about two-thirds of the way through, and virtually every one of those senators spent a week um, in Colorado, spent a lot of time reading materials that we had compiled on this issue and really immersed themselves on this. So the report that we produced, 118 pages long, uh, I think there was a lot of thought and effort uh, that 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 has gone into that, and that is helping will help I think to hopefully guide policy in this area going forward. But the question I would pose to Jim is because I think one of the main arguments that the, the proponents like to make is that well let's regulate it and tax it, and now we're going to bring in all these uh, tax revenues. And um, as we point out in the report, because the tax rate that the ballot uh, proponents have put forward is so low. Um, it's only a total tax rate of around a, a 12% if you include cities and towns compared to 30 to 40% in Colorado and Washington when you add up their taxes. 
our analysis of the special Senate committee is that there is not likely to be enough tax revenue to barely cover the uh, setting up a whole regulatory structure, the enforcement, the legal costs, never mind the substance abuse prevention and treatment. So so I would like to know why the proponents make these claims that there's going to be all this tax revenue now available to fund schools and roads when they know that that is not the case. Um, we've never de- we can't dedicate funding to schools and roads. We've never used language like that. Um, we, there will be enough revenue to cover the enforcement of this. In Colorado, they brought brought in 135 million dollars in revenue in 2015. The Marijuana Enforcement Division, which is in charge of regulating uh, and uh, administering the enforcement system in Colorado, had a 10 million dollar budget last year. There was more than enough resources. In fact, they had to go to the floor of the legislature to decide how to spend. Uh, the revenue in Colorado. So that, you know, we simply, there will be enough revenue. There is enough revenue in Colorado. And on the taxes, I would point out that three of the four legal states um, now are reducing their taxes because they're finding that they have to find the right level that is going to suppress the illegal market. Um, so everything is being, these are early states. We're going to be able to learn from their, uh, from their initial tries. Just very quick response. I mean, Jim is being, uh, I think he knows this, deliberately misleading here because Colorado's tax rate when you add state and local taxes is well over 30 percent. And Colorado also taxes medical marijuana in addition to recreational. In Massachusetts, we've chosen not to tax medical. So they have a far larger tax base. So when you see numbers like $130 million a year in Colorado, that's true. But we would expect to bring in far, far less in Massachusetts under this ballot question. And we're very concerned that that won't even cover the costs of setting up a whole regulatory system and uh, everything that will go with that um, and the public health impact and public safety impact as well. Well, obviously, we're going to disagree on this one. Okay. You'll disagree there. And Jim Borgasani, you get the final question for Jason Lewis. Uh, Jason, one thing we've noticed in the rhetoric coming from uh, um, the governor, the mayor, um, it almost seems like you're demonizing uh, the marijuana industry. In fact, you are. It's big business coming in. I don't hear the same thing about CVS, about Walgreens, about Seagram's, about Budweiser, about all these other large manufacturers, um, CVS, Walgreens. You're trying to, I think, you know, distract people from the true issue, which was a failed public policy by saying that big business is going to come in and dominate the marijuana market. If you look at the entrepreneurs that are on the waiting list now for medical, most of them are small business, uh, locally based investors who are getting into the industry with good intent. They don't have backers of, of, of the big businesses that we see. We just see that as rhetoric and I'm wondering if you'll actually try to stop that rhetoric on, on the campaign behalf. It's not a matter of rhetoric. It's, it's a matter of, uh, of, of fact. Um, when you introduce a profit-driven industry for a substance that can be addictive and harmful, that is at odds with public health and safety. And I've been quite critical. Uh, you could look at my public statements. Uh, I chair the Public Health Committee for the State Senate, and I've been very critical of uh, what tobacco companies have done. They've rolled out you know, products like candy and fruit-flavored cigars and other products that are very appealing to kids. I'm certainly critical of the alcohol industry when they target advertising at kids. Um, I've applauded CVS 
U.S.'s decision to stop selling tobacco products, and we're actually about to debate a bill in the Senate next week, which will ban the sale of any tobacco products in any pharmacies and healthcare facilities because it's inconsistent with their mission. So I have not been uh, shrinking violet when it comes to calling out industries that, in the name of profit, are willing to put our kids at risk and uh, uh, and sacrifice public health and safety. And that's why I'm raising my voice uh, in on this issue when it comes to marijuana. Well, perhaps you have not, but the campaign has taken a much different line of rhetoric, I think. All right, guys, we got to leave it there, but I hugely appreciate both of you taking the time to come in here and and, uh, start having this conversation. And I look forward to uh, watching you and hearing you as you do this throughout the state in the next half year. Jim Borgasani is the spokesman for the campaign to regulate marijuana like alcohol. Jim, thanks again to you. Thank you, Adam. And State Senator Jason Lewis uh, was the chairman of the Senate Special Committee on Marijuana and is also here on behalf of the Campaign for a Safe and Healthy Massachusetts. Jason, Thank you, thanks Adam. Thanks to you. Thank you. that is going to do it for this installment of The Scrum. As always, you can find our back episodes online at blogs.wgbh.org slash scrum. Our engineer today was Doug Shugarts. Our producer was Jason Tureski. I'm Adam Riley, and The Scrum is a production of WGBH News.